Dave Wilson here in the house. Dave Wilson is a Bloomberg Sox editor, columnist, and blogger at M Live Go on the Bloomberg. And it is time for Dave Wilson's chart of the day. Dave, what are you looking at? Well, I'm looking at sort of international stocks going their own way, really setting up what I would call a valuation paradox. Look at it this way. Uh, the MSCI All-Country World XUS Index, I know it's a mouthful, but you're basically talking about stocks in developed and emerging markets outside the U.S. They've risen more than the S&P 500 this year. Uh, that MSCI index up uh, 17% through yesterday, while the S&P 500 didn't even have a 10% gain. So you figure that if the international stocks are rising more, then you know, the, when you look at their valuations, there should be less of a gap with U.S. shares. Because international companies, historically, if you look at this MSCI index, they tend to trade at lower price earnings ratios. So you would figure the gap would be closing. Well, it's not. In fact, it's going in the other direction, which tells you there's some pretty substantial earnings growth internationally as opposed to the U.S. But I digress. Uh, the the P.E. gap, uh, price earnings gap between the MSCI index and the S&P 500 uh, based on projected earnings. So you call it an estimated P.E. ratio, forward P.E., call it what you will. But in fact, this week, it got to be the widest since at least 2005, according to our data. And I'm not the only one talking about this. Uh, it came up in a report uh, earlier this week out of Riverfront Investment Group. Chris Constantinos, who is their director of international portfolio management, pointed to this comparison as a sign that the gains we're seeing in international stocks are sustainable. Now, you could argue he's talking his book in a sense because that's the area of the market he focuses on. Then again, I mean, the numbers, they do uh, tell you a story. And the idea that you can buy stocks that have risen at a relatively fast pace this year and are still getting cheaper relative to U.S. shares, well, I mean, it does kind of uh, enhance the argument, if nothing less, for investing internationally. If you want to know more, folks, send me an email. I'll get you the chart, the explanation that goes with it, and everything I do going forward. The email address is dwilson at bloomberg.net. That's dwilson at bloomberg.net. Thank you so much, Dave Wilson. Uh, you know, there's so much going on right now with respect to Hurricane Irma, and we're also getting news from the Fed, uh, Fed Reserve Vice Chair Stan Fisher stepping down. Uh, to parse through this all, we can only bring in the one, the only chief U.S. economist for Bloomberg Intelligence, and that would be Carl Riccadonna. And he joins us here in our Bloomberg 1130 studios. Carl, um, I want to start with Irma. Because we talked earlier about Hurricane Harvey and how you didn't think it would necessarily take that big of a bite out of the U.S. economy. Is this different? Well, there are definitely some differences here. Uh, while uh, Harvey hit a uh, major industrial area, uh, Irma looks set to be more impactful in terms of uh, destroying very valuable real estate. Uh, but uh, South Florida uh, you know, is big in terms of uh, tourism industry, but there are not significant uh, bottlenecks that would uh, spread throughout the uh, broader economy, uh, like we see with the, uh, the spike in oil and uh, petroleum prices uh, uh, and the uh, refining capacity knocked out uh, by Hurricane Harvey. So uh, Florida hurricanes tend to uh, have uh, more of a wealth effect or wealth destruction effect uh, 
than uh, the economic disruptions from uh, Gulf hurricanes. So just walk me through. I mean, does this basically is this going to reduce the GDP of the U.S.? Uh, I, I don't think it does uh, impact GDP. And I, I know it sounds very strange to look at these uh, monster storms uh, hitting the coast and looking at all that's uh, destroyed. Uh, it certainly has a huge impact on the capital stock, the productive capacity of the economy. Uh, however, uh, in terms of GDP terms, that is production. So uh, all the uh, TV shots you see of uh, folks running out to buy uh, uh, plywood and storm supplies, that's boosting retail spending. Uh, all of the rebuilding after the storm, uh, that boosts uh, business and residential investment, and those are actually positives for GDP. So yes, uh, part of the economy is taken offline for a certain period of time, uh, but there tends to be ramped up activity both ahead and uh, fairly shortly uh, thereafter, which uh, in the past, when we look at uh, GDP impacts from these uh, major storms, you might see compositional mixes beneath the surface, uh, but overall GDP tends to hold up pretty well. So then answer this for me. Why are we seeing bond traders ratcheting down their expectations for another Fed rate hike this year? Why are we hearing analysts coming out and saying, given this the path of these two storms, it is highly unlikely at this point that the Federal Reserve will have the uh, the gumption to raise rates yet again? Well, if we look back to uh, Hurricane Katrina, uh, the Fed uh, was on a uh, tightening uh, trajectory at that time and actually continue to tighten uh, over in the uh, uh, meetings immediately following that storm. So I think that provides some precedent if these storms are actually impacting overall economic activity, be it hiring, uh, inflation prospects, uh, production in the economy, then absolutely the Fed would respond in kind. So we can't just say the Fed never responds to hurricanes. That's not true. Uh, you know, major events like 9-11 and whatnot, uh, obviously the Fed uh, did take action. But uh, as long as these things remain very localized uh, events, uh, it probably doesn't change prospects for the Fed. Uh, as, as it uh, pertains to the December meeting, uh, I think there are a lot of other factors that are raising question marks over the December meeting, like the weak jobs report we just saw last Friday, uh, the continued underperformance of uh, inflation. It's these factors uh, which are putting those question marks around December, right? not necessarily hurricanes. Yeah. And, and add on to that. Uh, which you already mentioned, the uh, resignation of the Fed vice chair. He was a strong ally of Yellen. Uh, if she wanted to uh, raise rates at the December meeting, she knew she would have a strong ally with Stanley right. Fisher. With him gone at that point, there's a whole lot of doves on the committee who have expressed reservations about further rate tightening. Dave Wilson, I'd love to just get your take real quick on whether any of that increased consumption that uh, Carl is talking about is getting baked in at all. Well, not to this point. That said, you know, when you think about the automakers as an example, uh, they stand to benefit because people are going to have to replace their cars. I mean, we've seen it to some extent with the uh, car rental companies, Hertz and Avis, uh, I can, Avis Budget, I can tell you that, just in terms of, you know, the demand for rentals and then beyond that, what their fleets may eventually go for when they're sold. So, I mean, that's one area you can point to, and there's going to be more like that. I mean, uh, keep an eye on the home improvement retailers, Home Depot and Lowe's, to see uh, how they benefit in terms of demand for uh, home improvements. Dave Wilson, Bloomberg Sox editor, columnist, and blogger at M Live. Go on the Bloomberg. And uh, thank you very much, Bloomberg Intelligence Chief U.S. Economist Carl Riccadonna. We will be talking more about uh, Federal Reserve Vice Chair Stan Fisher coming up.